Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox, and welcome to my podcast, Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. We're going to have some fun today. I've got an Emmy Award-winning actress and comedian who has made her mark in Hollywood by starring in her own comedy specials and hit movies like Girls Trip, Night School, and Like a Boss. But this A-lister is not stopping there, and she's using her platform to make a difference. Please welcome the amazing and talented Tiffany Haddish. Hey, she ready. (laughs) (laughs) The other day, it was trippy that I knew that I was going to be interviewing you, which, you know, we go back like Kool-Aid. We're going to talk about that. That I saw you, you were out protesting and marching. And I was like, small world. Oh, my God. Me and her, we're going to talk in a couple of days. And, And there you were, you know, on the front line, having your voice heard. And it was very emotional for you, huh? It was extremely emotional, you know. Um, all my little PTSD came back when I saw that video of George Floyd, all like of my experiences as a teenager came back and in my twenties when I was younger, you know, like it was hard for me to like digest that. And then when the family invited me to the funeral, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come out for that. I haven't been out the house. I'll come out for that though. Cause I know how difficult that is to lose a loved one like that. So wow, I went in support of the family. I didn't know it was going to be televised. I had no idea all these things were going on like that. And I was just like, wow. It, when I seen the police outside the place where the funeral was, I was just thinking to myself, man, it's like the murderer coming back to the scene of the crime. I was, I was kind wow. of feeling the type of way about it. Well, let's talk about, let's break it down. So you were in Hollywood, uh, right in front of the Laugh Factory for the Black Lives Matter movement. That was where I saw you at when you were on TV, right? Right. And they they asked you about, you know, why you were out there and how did the moment feel to you? How did this moment, because, you know, we've seen Black Lives Matter movements happen, but this one with the George Floyd death, definitely, in my opinion, feels completely different than anything I've ever witnessed to see it go worldwide. Um, does this time do do you really think it's gonna make a difference? I think it's definitely gonna make a difference. I mean, I feel like, you know, the virus happened and it put made everybody sit down, right? And then George Floyd happened and that made everybody pay attention. And and now not just black people are aware of what's going on, but so all people are aware of what's going on. And People are getting, are informing themselves. And, and and now that we have like technology that we do, people can see it. Yes. The behavior as opposed yeah. to the hearsay. Like, oh yeah, that's what you said. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. That's going on. Yeah. All right. Because uh-huh. see, this is how I feel about what's making a difference now is that the camera don't lie. The nope. police, they can write their reports and they've always been, been things. You go, wait a minute. I don't remember it happening like that. And because normally when the police, when something happens, when they go to court, the the jury is their peers. So that's why they don't get the convictions. But now we got that third eye, which is that camera that is on everyone's phone nowadays that I believe has changed up the game. Yeah, that, that, that that's that your story, the other person's story. And then the truth is in the middle. But the mm-hmm. camera got the truth. So, OK, OK, hold okay. up, y'all. All right, now. Visible. You can see it with your own eyes. It's not the way you want to, but it's kind of too hard to try to try to make it look different because I, you can see it. Now, is it true that at 13 or 14 years old, you watched a friend of yours get killed by the police? Yep. Tell me about that. Sure did. We was on the east side in Watts, and um, I was hanging out with my cousins, and one of our, we the police like hemmed us up, and we was calm and cool and collected. And then all of a sudden, the police officer just started getting like hell of aggressive. Mm. And we was like, what the hell? And all we could do was scream. You know, we was we was kids. And, and he was like 18 or 19 years old. And we just, we didn't know what to do. And he was dead. <gasps> he was dead by the end of the whole, like they was tussling. And then the police officer was on, on his neck. <gasps> like, and he died. And it was like, we didn't know what to do. We were just standing there, just screaming and crying. Like, we were helpless. And then again, I seen it again at 16. You don't know what to do. You've you've had some pretty traumatic experiences in your life dealing with the police. 
You've talked about being homeless before making it big in Hollywood. Is it true that the policemen pulled guns on you while you were parked in Beverly Hills? Girl, so, um, yeah, so I was sleeping in my car and I was just smoking weed in my car. (laughs) Which today wouldn't be no big thing. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't be no big thing. And they pulled guns on me. They (gasps) searched my vehicle. They did all this stuff. Ended up giving me it. Because I didn't like... You know, I didn't make no fuss about it or nothing. I just was letting them know I was scared um, that, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. And, and the more that I talked to them, I was trying to crack jokes to, like, lighten the mood, even though I was super afraid for my life. And I ended up coming out of that with a ticket for possession. And then when I went to court, they said it was a, they said, let's drop it down to a disturbing the peace ticket. And I'm like, but I wasn't even disturbing anybody's peace. I wasn't playing no music ladders. <laughs> but, you know. I just took that misdemeanor as opposed to taking what they was they were saying they could charge me with a felony and possession and all this stuff. But they took my weed. They were searching my car. Girl, I, 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 that's what I want to be asking them. Now, what do y'all be doing with all of this uh, 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 stuff y'all be confiscating? Girl, you know they smoking it. <laughs> I learned that. I learned that later on as I started dating police officers. <gasps> yeah, they would be bringing me weed and stuff that they took from somebody else. And- Shut the front door, Tiffany. A piece of work, honey. A piece of work. Damn. He was like, oh, we got some chronic. Yeah, I got that fire for you today, baby. Oh. Now, listen, check it out. At the protest, you said that you believe in the power of cussing somebody out. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Explain yourself, sister. I believe when you uh, go ahead and pull that card, you know, pull that card and let them know how you really feel. Cuss their ass out. They, They know what it is. They know that you're real with it, right? And no, you know, being, I, I don't always believe in being, I do believe in being nice. Me too. And then when people cross that line, then I, I believe you should cuss their ass out. Cuss their motherfucking ass out. Listen, can I tell you, I'm with you when you write on that because, see, sometimes people be thinking because we celebrities that we always supposed to be nice, but they don't believe that someday you can get in a bad mood too and somebody come at you crazy that you just have to back and, 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 and pull that choke chain, as I say. Real talk. One time at a comedy show, some chick gonna talk crazy to me while I was on stage, and I, mm. you know, I, I shut her down from the stage. Girl. I didn't cuss her out, but I just shut her down. Then, then she had the audacity to want to come and do a meet and greet, trying to meet me, and then try to talk shit while she meet me. And I was like, and I had to just let her know. I was like, look, bitch. <laughs> look, look, bitch, you over here barking <laughs> in my goddamn show. You know what I'm saying? Somebody need to put a muzzle on your ass, and then you gonna come back here and try to bark at me? Oh, look. If you want to fight, we can fight. But I'm not trying to fight you because I don't got the time nor the patience, nor are you worth it, okay? But, but, do fuck, you with think, me, but fuck with me if you want I to. I know that's right. But Tiffany, do you think she was trying to catch a case? Oh, yeah. She was definitely trying to catch a case. Mm. She was definitely trying to catch. She was trying to catch. I feel like she's trying to catch these hands. I know. That's what I said. Because can I tell you, Quentin Tarantino, when I did Kill Bill, they, they said they had to talk to Quentin like Quentin. Because people try to roll up on Quentin crazy and Quentin would turn around and whoop your ass. But next thing you know, now he catching a lawsuit for 60000 30000 So that's what I'm saying. Do you think that she was trying to catch a case so that she could like sue you or something? Probably. Mm. Probably. Well, and she wouldn't have got shit because I wasn't really balling at that point. So she wouldn't have got a goddamn thing. She would have got an a EBT card. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. So you say you're always known as a joyful person and the administrator of joy. How are you finding joy during these crazy, crazy Corona, Corona times? Well, I'm like, girl, so I've been in the garden. That's where, like, I find my most joy. And, like, uh, you know, normally I find my joy on the stage by being able to share my experiences with others. And I haven't really been able to do that. So I've been in the backyard telling jokes to my plants, which they're doing very good. I'm calling it plant-based comedy. Um, they don't boo. They don't talk back. You know, it's really nice. I might be crazy. I might be losing my mind. But Okay. Well, let me tell us about your plant 
uh, comedy uh, special that you're doing? What, what kind of plants you telling the jokes to? I got to know. Okay, so I've been talking to my trees, my blood orange, my lemon <laughs> trees, my avocado trees, my kale. My celery, my rosemary, my sage, my mm. artichokes, my yes. onions, yes. my collard greens, my uh, chard, my strawberries, which I eat every day. Um, you know, I just, I go off on them. You know, I okay. go off and tell jokes. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. So, <laughs> girl, you're crazy. I love it, though. But you know what? That's a good way of looking at it. Like, you're like, well, since I'm here, let me test out my material with y'all. And they're responding yeah. very well. It's working. Yeah, when the wind blows, I'm imagining that they're laughing at my jokes. Uh, when they just don't move at all, I'm like, okay, that one didn't, that one didn't hit. All right, so y'all not feeling Siri, okay? Y'all not feeling my jokes about Siri and how she like sneak listening to everything and how the TV be picking up every. Y'all not feeling that part, okay? Because you don't understand. They can't connect to that. I get it. I get it. Y'all don't understand technology. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So you also uh, said that you got to attend the George Floyd Memorial Service. What was that experience like for you? It was tremendous. It brought it first of all, it was it was a beautiful service. Mm. And it brought back so many memories for me that, you know, I definitely had to get on the phone with my therapist every day after. Wow. Um, yeah, for like six days I was like every Were day. Were you traumatized? Do you yeah, think trauma- that, yeah. That PTSD came back, you know, mm. and I was crying every day and just feeling like, oh man, the world is a horrible place. Like and just having these memories of like, you know, uh, people tell me, you should have kids, you should have kids. And me always coming up with excuses on why I shouldn't or like, uh, I'm not having no babies until I got a million dollars in the bank and I don't need to touch. It. Or I'll have a kid when this kind of guy, you know, I have like super crazy lists that no man can fulfill, you know, or um, I say like, I just get foster kids. They don't have, you know, they don't have parents. They need parents more than anybody else. Like, why would I, you know, have a baby of my own when I can, or I, or I would say things like, I don't want to look at myself grow up again. I don't want to watch me grow up again. So, you know, it's not about me. I, I'd rather just get foster kids. And, and what it really all boiled down to, what I, you know, after talking to my therapist, I realized like, I don't really want to have kids because I don't want that stress or that worry of if my black baby goes out to the school or goes to hang out with their friends, they're going to come back dead by the police. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of other celebrities that were there at uh, the service. Kevin Hart, Ludacris. This was a service in Minneapolis, correct? Correct. Okay. For some odd reason, they picked you to criticize on social media for attending the memorial service. Why? Girl, I have no idea. I think I feel, you know, in my heart, I feel like it was a setup. Personally, I feel like... It was a setup because that they um Al Sharpton and the lawyer, they were calling out a lot of celebrity names. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were calling out all the men that were there. And I wasn't tripping on that. This is a man's funeral, it's a black man's funeral. He was calling out on the black men. I'm like, I'm I'm there for that, you know? Good. And then when one of the reporters yelled out, What about Tiffany Addis? She here, Tiffany Addis here. And Al Sharpton goes, Oh, Tiffany's here. I didn't even see you over there. Like, and the only thing I said was, It's not about me. This is not about me. And then he kept like giving my credits and all this stuff. And I'm just like, why, why is he doing this? Then he calls me up to the stage and I did not want to go. I didn't come there to come up on no stage. You know, I didn't come there for that. And I'm like shaking my head. No. And Will Packer's like, go up there. And I'm like, no. And he's like, go. And I'm like, okay. So I go up there and it was, I was so overwhelmed in that moment, the eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence because it's a long time. It's a long time and it just made me think about all the people that I've watched be killed by the police and all like and what it must have felt like to have that knee in its neck that long. And, mm. and like it just, you know, I just became very overwhelmed. I was already sitting down crying and then like even more tears. And I was trying to swallow my tears, trying to make my tears go back. And they 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 was going back, but they was coming out my nose. So my mask was full of snot. And I'm like, I can't take this mask off (laughs) for multiple reasons. And I was like, so disgusted. I tried to like pull the snot off my face a little bit. It was just- It was one of them good old ugly cries. Girl, it was one of, you know the cry where you like, I'm not gonna let no tears come out, but everything's just coming out your nose. (laughs) And you can't blow your nose. And and my stomach was hurting because I'm trying to hold everything in. It's like so much physical pain that I was feeling. And then when I finally get to an area where I can like wipe my face and get this off my get this off of me, 
you know, they start making fun of me. You know, all the guys is there, all the comedians, they make fun. And I'm like, this is not funny, guys. <laughs> this is not funny at all. <laughs> like, so, uh, so but why was the haters hating? No. I think people started to call me out because they thought I was like trying to make the funeral about me and it was not. Aww. And when I went up on that stage, I noticed that there was a list because I wasn't the only female celebrity there. Regina Hall was there. Marseille mm-hmm. was there. And I, I saw the list. They had a list on the podium with everybody name on it. And they, I was like, oh, so y'all, y'all chose to call out these men. And him saying that he didn't know I was there was a lie because you got a list with everybody name on it that's here. Well, he might have just looked at the names he wanted to see real quick. You know how sometimes. Uh, they, they, I feel like maybe that or maybe it was a setup. Mm. (laughs) they was they was sipping on the haterade that day yeah well you know and then also Al Sharpton said in his speech you know people call on me and they say oh he just you know out here to get the media the eyes on it and stuff and and that he said that is what I'm here for I'm here to make everybody see what's going on and then you know later on when I saw all that stuff being said about me I was thinking to myself man he either Al Sharpton is a complete idiot or he is a genius and Mm. He set that up so, you know, my name would be on the in the thing. It'll be on the front page of Google and people would click and see. Huh. So if I'm used in that way where, you know, the haters is talking, people talking or whatever, and it's, people are becoming aware of the situation, then I'm not that mad at it. I know that's right. Since George Floyd's service, we've had another Black man. Rashard Brooks, who was fatally shot and killed by the Atlanta police, which... Happened in a Wendy's parking lot. Then they set the Wendy's thing on fire. Then we found out that it was a white lady that started the fire. I mean, then, girl, then there's this hanging that didn't happen this week. There's multiple hangings that's happened in California. Multiple. And in California at that. So what did you think about Rashard Brooks of the Atlanta killing? I mean, it's just. (sighs) Yeah, I watched watched that video. I didn't get to see the whole entire thing. And I just was thinking, like, why didn't that man just say, I'm going to walk home? Like, and. Wow. Somebody said, why couldn't they have just said, hey, man, you've been drinking. We get it. Let us let us call you a, a, a Uber or whatever. Why did it have to end with this man dying? I just don't get how things when it comes to black people, how it escalates to being, first of all, so violent and then death. Instead of, you know what, we'll call someone for you. You know what I mean? Or I, it, it just escalates to violence every time. Why? I don't know, Vivica. I feel like it's personally, they're trying to exterminate us. That's what I feel like. They're trying to exterminate Black people, trying to make us an endangered species. That's what I truly feel like, after, and especially after reading all these books and, and like really doing my research on the on the development of the police department, how they even started, how the police didn't even start in America and everything. It's really, it's sad. It's really sad. And it's like, they trying to eradicate us. Wow. That's how I feel. And then what about the the, the the multiple hangings? What what message is that you think that they're trying to send? I just feel like, why are we going so backwards when for eight years with Obama? But eight years, for those eight years, black men were still being slaughtered. I know, but... It just it, seems it, like it, it, with Trump here now, it's like we are just, it's so much hatred. I just feel like ever since he's got elected, it's been like a black cloud over the country and racism. Yes, yeah, so Trump it hurts. That's for sure. It just hurts my heart. It really does. Because I'm like, what are, what are we, what are our children seeing? I don't have children, but I have six God babies and I fear for them because it's just. I got it just, for myself and I'm scared for them. <laughs> I'm like I, I that's not like I want to just change the whole like it's all at the end of the day it all boils down to money right or they or boils down to you know them thinking that we gonna outpower them or out or try to get revenge on them and we're not about revenge that, our culture is not necessarily about revenge maybe in the gangbanger world but still <laughs> enough, that's like that's not even it's not even really about that it's always it always boils down to money Right. So if we I feel like what we have to do as a people is build our economy, build our financial wealth and really start implementing change in politics. And that way we can create reform in the police department. I'm not saying that we don't need police, but I'm saying we need to change 
We need to change the way that they are trained. Yes. I'm sorry, but I, I don't know how someone could be an enforcer of the law and only go to police academy for three to six months. Okay. Like, a lawyer has to go to law school for years to have an understanding of the law. And this person's supposed to enforce it and they don't even understand it. And also they need to be taught how to de-escalate a situation as opposed to escalating a situation. I I can't tell you how many times I've been around police officers or seeing them do things in the community where maybe, yes, okay, so these people are arguing and then they come and it turns into a full-on fight. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, read something to you real quick. Tasha Smith, my sister from Empire today, posted, uh, or yesterday, when did she post this? Oh, today. Um, she says, in Norway, they require three years of training to become a police officer. Germany, two years of training. Finland, three years um, is required. USA, like you said, it's like, you know, they, they go to 21 weeks of training and and this just showing the difference of like in the United in the USA, how many people were killed and in the other countries, it's like so low. And actually she reposted it from Snoop Dogg. And so I don't like you said, I don't believe in defunding the police because there are people out there that are committing crimes that we got to look out for. We got to look out for the pedophiles and, and rapists and things like that. that yes, we yeah, why, they, they, why don't they kill them when they arrest them? Why they not they were killing pedophiles when they arrest them? OK, instead, instead of just making a show about it. Uh, right. Right. But right. it's like, I just believe that it's like, it definitely needs to be reformed, that they need more training, especially dealing with, you know, different cultures, especially brown people. I definitely believe that there needs to be an overhaul on the, on the, on the USA police system. Uh, now you I also agree. share with our producers that um, you were raped by a police cadet when you were just 17 years old. Yes. God, girl, you done had some bad ass experience with police. Damn. And then I dated him for a minute, thinking I could get some type of revenge. Not not the rapist, but it was different police officers that I thought like they would help me get get revenge on mm-hmm. that guy or my stepdad, because he, you know, did what he did to us, to the family, you know. And, you know, no, no, no revenge, no record, no nothing. Just lost, just lost this little bit of my soul. That's it. Well, what would what would make you think that like so you think that you you dated a police out of revenge? What, what did you think that was for? I thought, look, I thought, oh, if I date, I dated a police officer, a judge, a lawyer. I dated several different kind of dudes thinking, oh, if if I date them, they'll, they'll love me and they'll try to help me in my crusade of getting justice for my family and for myself. They was like, nah. <laughs> they was like, nah. Like nobody really helped me. They couldn't even help me find my dad. You know, my ex-husband, he was a police officer, former police officer, and he actually found my father for me. And I thought that would make my life way better. And then that was a that was a shit show, too. I just had to learn that revenge is not really where it's at. Really, the, the true revenge is in your success. Like, just letting God handle it. My grandma always used to tell me that, but I didn't believe her. But she was correct. Like, just put it in God's hands and you just focus on you and do what's best for you and protect mm-hmm. your family. And don't don't go out here trying to like, you know, uh, thinking that you would get like, I don't know why I thought these police would like do something to this other police officer because he took advantage of me. You know, like, yeah, it wasn't even a take advantage. That motherfucker took my just took me just, took mm. me, you know, and like, and I'm glad he didn't kill me or anything. But like, uh. That was very traumatized and it really messed up my, really messed me up for a long time about like how I- Did that affect your relationship with men? Yeah, and how I viewed sex and how I just like thought of it. I was really thinking of it as a tool, you know, and and it's not. It's like the worst tool in the fucking box to use. (laughs) Tiffany, can I ask you, have you ever got therapy for this, sweetheart? Girl, yes. Girl, yes. Good. Yes, I would not be able to function right now if I didn't have all the services. I mean, I took. I know that's right. Foster care system. (laughs) When it went down, when all that went down, I was like, you know, I even told my social worker, she was like, there was nothing. There's like nothing anybody could do about. Like, I'm like, oh, like, what do you like? Because it still makes me mad because it's like they're in touch. They're untouchable. Mm. And I'm like, I really wanted to put that whole story in my book, but th- there, I cannot find anything funny about that. Like, it's no, wow. there's no joke in that at all. Like, I got one joke for it, and it was like how I was dealing with it for a long time. 
And um, it, it is not a good joke. It is not a healthy joke, but it was, it was, you know, how I was mentally dealing with it. And it, it took like four psychiatrists to tell me, stop saying that to yourself because that's not the case. Wow. <laughs> like, I used to tell myself, well, I must have been a sexy kid. I was a sexy teenager. And that's why. <laughs> wow. That's why that had, because I'm beautiful. That's that's why they try to attack me. That's why that man did that to me, because I'm beautiful. And then it was for years, like years, I was trying to like hide my beauty, hide it, you know, like uh, thinking that was, you know, if I'm too sexy, if I'm too attractive, I'm just asking to be hurt, you know? Yeah. But. And that that that's that got wiped away after about three four years of counseling. Okay, good because you know I think that that's the biggest thing, especially with African Americans. Like we're afraid. It's like I'm okay that we're afraid to admit that, that I need to go to a therapist or that I need to talk about it. You know. Well, or, that's, that's because the history of of psychology is kind of fucked up. You know, they use this as guinea pigs for so long with the ice baths and the lobotomies and the electrocutions and. Anybody could call on you and say you're crazy, and then all of a sudden you in, in a psychiatric ward for no damn reason, and they they sterilize you and all kind of stuff they used to do uh, to into foster kids too. Like when I first went into foster care, I was placed in McLaren Hall, and if you do some research on McLaren Hall, that place they used to. I mean, Hitler wrote a letter to the governor of California trying to figure out, you know, how he was able to sterilize so many Americans legally. Mm. And they was doing it at McLaren Hall back in the, that was back in the 30s and 40s, you know? Well, let's talk about like, you know, you being in foster care. Like, to be honest with you, it's like, I, I kind of knew that, but it's because you've been so successful and so strong that it's like, I honestly, Tiffany, doing this interview, getting to know you more, like, I'm like, she is such a strong survivor. The fact that you have been able to overcome so many things, but I want to go back to that. Your mom, she had a brain damage from a car accident. Tell us about that. Yeah, so she had a, a car accident and we was all supposed to be, me and my brothers and sisters, we all was supposed to be in that car. And um, I begged her to let me babysit. And I'm like, I know how to make hot dogs and rice and baby <laughs> bottles, like, let me, let me babysit. And so, she was like, okay, if the phone rings twice, you know, that's me, answer it. If it rings any more than that or less than that, don't answer the phone. Three days went by. She never came home. I called my grandma and my grandma didn't know where she was. And they did some searching and they found her in a hospital in Pomona. And um, she had to learn how to walk, talk, eat everything all over again. And, uh, hey, dogs, calm down. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. We we ready for our uh, our time now, <laughs> right? So um, how many dogs do you have, real quick? Because that was too cute. I got two dogs, uh, a blue nose pit bull and a, a little Maltese Yorkie mix. Oh, wow. my, okay, cute. that's a hell of a combination. Yeah, the, the, it's the little white dog that's dangerous. It's, that's <laughs> one that's dangerous. So, yeah, watch out for the white. So anyway, <laughs> okay. So, anyway, so how many how many brothers and sisters you got? I had two sisters and two brothers. Okay. And, um, uh, so my mom, she had learned how to walk, talk, eat everything again within three months of the accident. And um, she didn't have her memory. She didn't have her very good communication skills. And so it became very violent. Um, like I watched these things about these football players and how they be behaving mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm like, ah, that, that's my mama. <laughs> like, wow. Her, her head went through a windshield. Like she definitely had a lot of brain trauma. And you and you all were supposed to be in the car with her that day, but you said, no, I'll babysit. Exactly. I, went, I wow. really wanted to babysit. And she let me. And that was the first time. And that, that, that's, I feel like that's when I became a mom. Like, because then it was like, you know, when she came out the hospital, the, the doctor's like, you're going to have to help your mom a lot. And it's, it's time for you to grow up now. Like, you're going to have to do a lot. And everything that she taught you, you're going to have to teach her. And you got to support her and be there for her. And I was like, all right. Because, you know, I, that's the first person I ever loved. She's the love of my life. Like, she's my first human that I've ever loved with all my heart and soul. And, like, no matter how much she hurts me or does to me, whatever she does to me, I still, you know, I might be mad and wanted to get hit by an ice cream truck every now and then. But <laughs> I still love her. You know, like, I would do any, I'll fight anybody over her, you know. Um, and, and I became basically... I was her mama, my brothers and sisters' mama. And then by the time I was about 12, almost 13, we got placed in a foster care because I just wasn't a good mom. I wasn't ready. Well, uh, you're a child, sweetheart. You can't blame yourself just, for that. But uh, in that moment, as that little, you know, that little girl, like, 
I just wanted our family to be good. I wanted to, you know, I just, I really wanted to just be her, her best support system, but I didn't know how to, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes I still get like mad about it because I wish I could have did a better job. Like, but that wasn't my job though, but I exactly. tried. Yeah. I tried. I tried. How do you I think really that your childhood? And now loaded. I'm doing a great. Now I'm doing a great job. I got I her a house. Say, I spent yeah. all my money on her. Got her the best nurses, the best psychologists, the best mm. doctors. Like, got her on a great diet. Her body's getting great. Like everything is. You know, I'm never gonna have that mom that I had before, um, which I, I miss her so much. Uh, mm. But I'm glad I got what I got. Okay. Now you're close to your grandmother. Tell us some good advice that your grandmother's because we go, we gonna stop crying this interview. We done cried, we done protested, <laughs> we all about black power. But let's let, let's go towards some 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 fun now, okay? You're close yeah. to your grandmother. Tell me the best advice your grandma was giving you. Uh, my grandmother gave me some really good advice. She said uh, mm-hmm. that I have to think of myself as a house. Think that think of your your vagina as a house. You don't let everybody in your house. Uh, you don't have you want to be careful about the type of people you associate with because that bring your value down. You know, um, you don't want the you know you don't want the neighborhood to be brought down in value. So watch the type of people you hang out with. Don't throw house parties. You know, keep the grass cut. <laughs> keep the grass cut. You know, you only want one tenant at a time. You don't want multiple tenants. You don't want. You don't want to be renting your stuff out like on a weekly basis or anything to multiple people. You want one person, and when you find the right man. You know, and he's going to put that ring on your finger and buy that house. He's saying that he's going to protect you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to love you. He's going to make sure that you are good for the rest of your life. That's what you want to find. Oh, and uh, yeah, so that's that's what I that's what I did. So and Tiffany, it, you and been... the other thing she told me that was really good. Uh-huh. The best advice I think is dirty nails, dirty D. Keep that thing away from me. Ooh, girl. Okay, you know, I saw you somewhere talking about the dirty D and I was like, baby, we got to teach these children about that. Because let me tell you, you come toward me with some jacked up teeth, some dirty nails. You ain't getting nowhere near me. Okay. So look, that was good go, advice. I might go for the jacked up teeth as long as it don't look like it's butter on it. <laughs> okay. And, and as long as it don't smell like a dead skunk is in the back of your throat, I might be okay with your teeth being all over the place. But I, I ain't going to lie, you're going to have to have some teeth. I, I can't do the dirty teeth because you got to kiss them. At I know. That they, they might have, you know, they might be jacked up. They might be on top of each other or far apart from each other or really little. But as long as they clean, you know. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Clean. That's what I'm saying. If you got some dirty teeth and dirty nails, I, I uh-uh. No. No, yeah, man. He could look like a rabbit. I still mess with him. As long as they clean. Not, as long as they're not yellow like a rabbit, you know. <sighs> I had one that had some teeth that looked like a rabbit, but he fixed them. He all right. So <laughs> we gonna keep it moving. We gonna keep it moving. Uh-uh, hold on before we get to jokes here. You know because what's you're... crazy? You know what's crazy? I feel like some, I feel like my coochie got some kind of powers because every time I break up with a dude, mm-hmm. they get braces. Oh, what you think that's about? I don't know. Maybe they decided to get their life together after I done told them over and over. You need to get that together. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let's get on to this fabulous career you are having, Missy, okay? Because Tiffany and I, we we did this little theater play. It was a little ghetto theater play. Yeah. That was when we first worked together. Because somebody had to remind me and sent me a throwback picture, girl. And I'm going to post it close to when our little interview comes out. And it was okay. you. And they was like, that's Tiffany. I was like, what? And I honestly half forgot, girl. And we was just kiki And I played your sister, right? Yeah, she was my big sister, yeah? Yeah, okay. So what was, do you do you remember that whole experience working with me? Yes, I remember thinking to myself, okay, because for years people would be like, you're like a little bit of the fox. You're my yeah. fox, you're just a little bit. And I'm like, I wish she was my sister. And then boom, I get this play and we sisters. I'm like, oh, look at God, look at God. Like anything I think I can make happen. And then I'm like talking to, we talked, but we didn't talk a lot because you were always like, Okay, I gotta get my I gotta get my lines down. I gotta and like watching you was probably the best lessons I ever like in in like how to carry yourself on a set, how to be professional, how to make sure you have your stuff together. You always came in looking nice, even on the days we rehearsing. You would always look nice and oh. always and always was kind. But also, if somebody said something you don't like, you would make sure they know that you didn't like that shit. Either. <laughs> and I was like, I like that. I like that about her. Like. I am her little sister. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I was 
studying you, like, because you would be so on point with your lines, so on point with, like, the intention. If you felt like if something was a little off, you would stop and be like, could we say this instead? Or maybe we should try this. I feel like this is a little off. And I was like, man, she's a queen. That's why I want to be like that. Like, why be like that? I loved it. Well, you took them learning lessons and exploded, honey, because now you have worked with the best of the best from Kevin Hart to Selma Hayek to Girls Trip. Girls Trip made a hundred million dollars worldwide. You were the first female African-American stand-up comedian to host Saturday Night Live. What was that like? Girl, that was stressful. Okay, let me tell you, I came in because I've been dreaming about SNL for so long, right? And I had... Mm -hmm. um, I had all these sketches and stuff, like a notebook full of stuff, like ideas. And I brought those and they were like, we don't need none of those. Um, and this is what we're doing. And I, and I realized <gasps> by Wednesday, by like I got there on Monday, by Wednesday, I realized, oh, this this is a well-oiled machine that's been going on for yes. over 40 years. Mm -hmm. Like, and me just thinking I can come in here and get them to like roll with what I want to do. I, I must be crazy, right? And because I was so frustrated on that Tuesday, like, what do you mean? You're not gonna, this is great. Like, and I was sitting up with the writers, you know, and um, and then so I started to realize, OK, it's not going to go like that. Like, it's not about this isn't about me. This is just I'm just a pair of earrings. <laughs> like, wow. I'm an accessory. And so um, what I did have, though, was my monologue. And that, that was something that was me. And they said, you know, you can say or do whatever you want. And I had wrote all this stuff because I had watched everybody's stuff already. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big researcher, you know, like, I'm going to make sure I'll be right on point in the, in the thing. And so when I watched everybody else's stuff, I'm like, oh, OK, this is what I can do. So I had wrote it out. And it's like, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. This is too sexual. This is sexual. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, Amy Schumer was on here talking about her vagina for three minutes. I can't say nothing like, OK, cool. Don't even trip. I, I get it. It's a, I'm a black woman. I get it. I, I'll fix it. And like, I wanted to speak Japanese in it and all that. And they were like, oh, no, we don't think you should do that because, you know. They might get offended. America, right. Middle America won't understand that. I was like, well, should I speak some Tigrinya? Should I speak, like, I want to show that I know how to speak languages. They're like, oh, no, no, no. You, you're confused, Middle America. That's not our demographic. That's not our demographic. And sometimes I regret that I didn't do it. But I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to still get my message across. I'm going to do some praise and worship dancing. I'm going I'm to do this. Like. I'm going to still get my message across it, even if it's within your little box. I'm going to still be myself in your box. And that's mm. what I did. But I lost 10, I lost 10 pounds. I ain't going to lie to you. I lost 10 pounds because of the stress of it all. Really? So I learned, yes. I learned, I learned a lot about myself in that process that maybe I am a little bit of a control freak because I haven't had control of my life for so long. Mm -hmm. And, after, you know, before Girls Trip even, before I even got that job, I had decided I'm going to take control of my life. I'm going to, put myself in situations that I want to be in. And I'm going to always, after watching you speak up about certain things, I'm like, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to bring my ideas to the table always. And if they get turned down, they get turned down. But at least I have the, the, the wherewithal and I feel good inside that I spoke on right. what I wanted to do. As long as I speak on it. And even if it doesn't happen, okay, but I put it out there that I thought this would be good. And in a lot of my tidbits did get into every single sketch. I did bring, put, Tiffany Haddish on every single sketch I was in. So, so you got you did Saturday Night Live, and then did that lead to Girls Trip? No, I got Girls Trip before. Now, Girls Trip came, I think, from when I did that movie Keanu back in 2015, and I worked with this whole the the crew that was uh, working on Keanu that I did with Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. They got hired to do Girls Trip, and they were reading the script, and they're like, "Oh my God, this is you, Tiffany. This is what we did last summer." Like. And they started, so eight different crew members sent me the script and was like, they haven't cast it yet. You got to get an audition. You got to get an audition. So I got on my, my agents really heavy about getting me an audition. And they were like, yeah, they only want to see names, Tiffany. They're not interested in you. And I said, well, you tell them that I've had a name since 1979 and this Tiffany motherfucking had it. And they need to let me come in. Wait a minute, they, say that again. It's what? You I got said, a name and it's what? I've had a name since 1979, and it's Tiffany motherfucking Haddish. You better ask somebody and let them know, girl. I love so, that. So let me come in and audition, right? So okay. uh, they, I did a pre-read, then I did a read with the assistant, then I did a read with the casting director, Ooh, then I wow. did another producer session, then I did a session with the director. So <gasps> five times I went in, right? And then I got the part like three days before we were supposed to start like shooting. 
Girl, you really earned that part. You had to audition five times? Five times. Girl, can I tell you that that reminds me of like when I when I did independent when I got Independence Day, they told me that they only want names. And I happened to be on a little soap opera, uh, Young and the Restless at the time. And I know I watched me. it. I watched it. We watched it. Me and my friend, we watched it. So that is kind of like we got that in common. So then you got the part. And girl, I know you was probably screaming, running through the house like, oh, my God, I'm going to be in a movie. Yeah, I was like, you need to pack up your stuff. You're leaving tomorrow. You Mm -hmm. need you're going to be there for three months. So (gasps) you need to pack up and go. And I was like, can I bring my dog? (laughs) (laughs) I need my emotional support dog. I'm bringing my little white dog. They was like, yeah, we'll put you in a hotel for you and your dog. So, well, girl, you stole the movie. I mean, you did because I got to talk about the grapefruit scene. Okay, girl. Okay, where that come from? Did you have to audition that or did you come up with that? No, no, no. That was already in the script. And when I read when I read it, when they sent it to me and I read it, I said, oh, this is perfect because I know how to do this. I remember when the video came out. So this lady, Auntie Angel, she did a video back in 2012 Mm -hmm. um, on YouTube. And I had saw the video and I tried it. That's how I got my Corvette. And um, (laughs) I was like, I was like, yeah, this is going to be. This, if they, you know, if if all else fails in that final audition, I'll be like, I'll do the grapefruit scene for y'all if you want me to. But they didn't, they didn't ask me to do it. But I did mention it. If y'all need me to do the grapefruit scene, I can do it. Oh, you talking about when you was auditioning? Yeah, they right. laughed. They now, laughed. Did, did y'all have any idea how huge Girls Trip was going to be? No, I had no clue. I was just happy to be working, happy to be working with people I've always wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, for me, that was a dream come true. That movie could have flopped. They could have did the worst ever. But for me, it was the best. You know, I was getting paid pretty good. Uh, I didn't realize that I was actually being paid poorly. But to me, I thought it was good <laughs> at that time. But <laughs> now I know better. Uh, they definitely got a deal. All right, so, so wait a minute. Any plans for Girls Trip 2? We talks about it all the time, me and the girls. We always talking about it, trying to, you know, manifest it some kind of way. So hopefully, you know, deals work out. I hope that it definitely it happens because it was amazing. We were in the theater rolling and it was just kudos. Now, I want to talk to you about something uh, fashion-wise because, you know, they say in Hollywood, you can't wear the same thing twice. Girl, you there was a white dress. Mm-hmm. That white dress. How many times you wear that white dress back in the day? You was like, look here, Probably I like paid a- six <laughs> times. And you know what? I'm in here in this quarantine losing weight. I'm about to get back in that dress. Because, you know, Tiffany, I'm going to tell you, I'm from the old school. So it was like, oh, my God, they would kill you if you would wear something twice. So when you came out and you were so transparent with that, you said, look here, I paid a lot of money for this dress. I'm wearing it till I can't no more. I was like, I love her. Yeah, because I did pay a lot of money. I paid more than my mortgage. Like, <laughs> I'm like, and I was going off on the stylist because, you know, she didn't even give me the option to like not pay for it. Like I wore it and I'm thinking it's like a loaner dress. I'm going to give it back. And she's like, oh, no, that's yours. And, and here's the bill. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Ooh, okay, that part. You're I'm like, like, I'm this wearing is, this. I would never pay this much money for any dress. Like this is more than my mortgage. I have to wear this multiple times. I'll be damned if I only wear this one. Now, and you know, I'm going to keep wearing it till I have sex in it. I ain't had sex <laughs> in it yet. So once I have sex in it, then, <laughs> then it's retired. I love it. Look, I still wear my wedding dress. I paid only $1,000 for that. I still put that motherfucker on once a year just to see if I fit it. Just because, right? Because I paid money for it. <laughs> the hell I look like? That's a waste of money. Now, recently, you did a Seth Meyers interview where you mm-hmm. talked about you wanted to open up a grocery store and you even got a business plan. What was that about? Girl, I'm serious. When I say that we have to build our own economy, that we got to build like as black people, as a community, we have to build. We have to create our own businesses and we have to employ our people and, and we can employ other people as well to have the know how. But we, we need something that's ours, right? So Agreed. Where I live, you know, there are grocery stores, but they don't have a lot of options. They don't have really good produce. They don't have, like, healthy stuff for us. And, like, I've been talking with city council about it. Like, I want this building over here off of Buckingham and uh, Martin Luther King, and I'm going to turn it into, a, I'm going to call it Diaspora Groceries. And we're going to get herbs and spices and fruits and different vegetables from, like, from Trinidad or from Jamaica, like stuff that's indigenous to us and stuff from Africa, like real herbs like from Africa imported from our, where we come from, right? Because mm-hmm. I see every other culture is doing that. And 
they don't even sell, like I noticed in uh, grocery stores, that they don't sell, like if you need a big ass pot or you need a, a crock pot or you need a pressure cooker, whatever you might need, they don't have that at the grocery store, which I'm like, why wouldn't they have it? Like you should sell it here. Why do I got to go to Target to go get these things where I'm getting my food here? Like this should be here. So I want to sell cooking utensils there too. And then on the upstairs level, I want to have cooking classes and nutrition classes that teach you how to make an alkaline meal, how to make just a basic meal. Because I know I talk with so many foster youth, they don't even know how to cook. Right. You know, they can't even feed themselves and they have to go to McDonald's. They have to go to Taco Bell or whatever because they don't know how to boil water and eat it. I'm like, you don't know how to make top ramen. That's the one thing everybody's supposed to know. They don't even know how to make that. You what would be so, the name of your grocery store? Oh, the grocery store will be called Diaspora Groceries. Uh, <laughs> okay, where'd that name come from? Because we, because, okay, so I came, my father's from Eritrea, right? And when I went to Eritrea. When it's from where? Eritrea, Eritrea. It's uh, on the east side of Africa. It's right next to Ethiopia. They were in war oh, for wow. like 30 years to get their independence, right? Mm-hmm. Now, they don't tell us about that in America because they was trying to steal from them too. But anyways, um, when I went there, someone said, I'm so glad you came back. If more of the diaspora would come home, it would be better for everybody. And mm. I'm like, the diaspora? What, what do you mean the diaspora? He said, well, everyone that, that is from Africa, right? Even if you weren't born here, but you're in, you're in, your people are from here, you are a part of the diaspora, the family of our motherland that is out in the other parts of the world. So instead of calling it African-American groceries or black grocery store, I'm going to call it the diaspora groceries. Okay, I got that. All right, y'all got that? That's what it's going to be called. And it's going to have different levels where we can shop, learn to cook, and all of that stuff. Now, let's talk about you. Like I said, you're blowing up the scene. And you have now... Um, you've got your own things that have happened with Netflix. You're getting that Netflix money. Um, your first special was called She Ready. Mm-hmm. That that was She Ready from the Hood to Hollywood. That was on Showtime. That, but it did okay, eventually end up it did eventually end up on Netflix. Right. She Ready from the Hood to Hollywood ended up on Showtime. It started on Showtime. Okay. And, and when I tell you they didn't pay me no money to do it. And it was like right after Girls Trip. Girls Trip hadn't come out yet, but they was like, uh, they was not trying to give me no money. I, I even paid money to make that thing happen <laughs> and still have yet to receive a residual check or anything from that. But mm. I was very proud of it because I put me on there and I put my music in it and all that. Then after Girls Trip came out, Netflix gave me a deal to do my next special, which is Black Mitzvah. Okay. Now, where'd that title come from? Because uh, my father is Jewish and uh, I wanted to have a bat mitzvah because I feel like as a as a culture, especially in the diaspora, we don't have anything that says you're a, a woman now, you're you're a man now. But every other culture does. They have some some ceremony or some rite of passage that says you're grown. And when I talk to my friends, I'm like, I don't feel like a grown woman yet. I don't feel like I've had like a rite of passage. They're like, girl, what you talking about? How many t- times you been in handcuffs? I know I'm a woman. I got three kids. I know I'm a man. I've been to jail twice. Like, that doesn't make you a man. That doesn't make you a woman just because you have children. I mean, geez, when we were slaves, we would just pop our babies and they sell them and you didn't even get to be a mother. So I don't think that makes you a woman. I think what makes you a woman is when you when you have knowledge of your heritage, knowledge of how to make things better for others and actually do those things, but also not be afraid to share your beliefs with others and try to enhance the living situation for other people's. I'm not saying you give them money, but I'm saying that you create something that helps all to eat, helps all to succeed, help, you know, be of service to the community, be helpful and not destructive to the upbringing of everyone, right? So that's why I employ Black people. I make sure people that look like me have opportunities to succeed. And when I I had Black Mitzvah, Monique came out with her whole thing about, you know, oh, Netflix is this, Netflix is that. And I was like, damn, you know what? Netflix, I don't know if I want to shoot this with y'all because I could shoot this whole thing myself for 67000 I'll invest in myself and mm-hmm. I'll lease it to you guys or somebody else will pick it up or I could just sell it on my website for $5 a pop and I'll just make all the money myself. So I'm good. And they was like, no, no, no. What's it going to take to get you back? And I was like, and then they offered me more money, right? And I was like, instead of giving me that money, why don't we give that money to six other comedians and give them an opportunity to shine and give them each half hour specials 
and comedians that are women and may not be women, but at live as women, but also um, they've been doing comedy for more than 10 years and nobody's ever given them an opportunity. So that then led to They Ready? That's what led to They Ready. Now, did you feel any kind of way taking basically that Monique money? No, I didn't feel no kind of way taking that. But first of all, <laughs> let's just keep this real. No, let me let, let me not be shady. Let me not be shady. I, I don't feel no kind of way taking money that's going to enhance my community and, and lift everybody up. Like I could have been like a lot of other comedians and been like, oh, yeah, cool. You gonna give me extra money. Great. Bam. I'm gonna do it. Give me that money and, and not think about nobody else. But I felt like if, if you're going to make a big stink about something, if you're going to then make sure everybody else gets to eat, too, or, or enhance somebody else's mm-hmm. life besides mm-hmm. just your own. Like, OK, they don't want to give me this money. They, you don't want to give me all that money. Oh, now you do want to give me the money. Well, okay, let's make sure these people get an opportunity to grow and shine too. And now all of them got, they they got shows getting ready to come out, cartoons, movies, all of that. Like, and that right there is more to me than money. That is to see my friends grow, to see my friends shine. That is like, that's better to know that their children are going to have a better opportunity to go to college, to afford homes, to... Like, that's better than anything to like, me. I, I just feel like that was a beautiful opportunity that instead of you going, well, because Monique ain't going to do uh, do Netflix, I ain't going to deal with them. But you were like, no, let me look at this opportunity and then pass the torch and give others exposure. Tiffany, I think that's a wonderful thing for you to do because now you've opened up the doors, like you said, for everybody to eat. And right. I think that that was the thing that like I didn't like with Monique that I was kind of not like with Monique, but about that decision that she made it so such a big deal about Netflix this and Netflix that. And I'm like, we as women, we just we always have to work harder, but we got to learn to work smarter. Exactly. Because you don't burn bridges. I don't care what anyone says. You try not to burn bridges because once you burn down those bridges, you can't go back across them. They're gone. Right. Or you're going to have to rebuild it and that's right. a whole bunch. That's a waste of time. Yeah. That is a waste of time that could be going into building something for the community. So that's why I'm like, I don't try to, if I burn the bridge, best believe that bridge will never be rebuilt and I'll never go back that way again. So now, girl, like I said, I I, I appreciate everything that you've so shared with us. What, but in closing, you know, they- Wait, uh, no, I, not closing, not yet, because I got questions for you. Okay. okay. I need well, your guidance. I need okay. your guidance. All right, here I am. What you got to, what you got see, to ask see. me? Now, see, you've been in this business a long time and you have dated many men and I have I've <laughs> dated many men too, but most of them, like I said, was police or gangbangers or something like that. So now, now that I'm at this level, now celebrity men have been trying to get at me, right? And I'm like, I don't know if I want, like, I think you fine. I would hit that, but I don't know if I want to be in a relationship with you because I don't know why you want to be in a relationship with me, right? right. Okay. So, so what, how do you, how do you weather that? How do you do that without being like disrespectful? Because I think I've been kind of disrespectful to a few. <laughs> well, this is what I say. Before you go public with anyone, make sure that they earn it. Take the time to get to know them because you hot on the block right now. And so everybody coming at you. So you basically got your pick of the litter, which is fun. However, in having your pick of the litter, before you go public with them, you, you just got to make sure that they're qualified and they're not there trying to use the name Tiffany Haddish or look at you as a sugar mama just to keep right. it real with you, you know, baby girl, like you got to make sure, like take your time to get to know them. Don't go public with nobody. I know it's happy. You might be happy. Like, Oh, that was good. And look at me. We spending time. Don't be putting nobody on social media till they earn it. Don't be letting nobody move. Right. Like, I, I got to get paid. That's what I'll be telling you. I'll post it when you pay me. Right. <laughs> so just take your time to get to know someone. I think what happened with me is that when I had my big public relationship, we were just so happy and so in love at the time. It's like, oh, look at us. We're together. Take the time. Keep things private until they earn it. And then, you know, you go public with them. But take your time. Don't be afraid to be by yourself, sweetheart. Love you, you first, because you've been through enough in your life. Real talk that you can't have anybody publicly hurt you. I, I would hate to see. I would probably go whoop their ass for you because I know what you've been through. No, no don't whoop their ass. I'm gonna do like I my would. grandma I, told me. I'm gonna do like my grandma told me and pray for them. And whenever I do that, they always go to jail. So that's why I be telling these niggas, don't have me praying for you because you don't hurt my heart because you gonna go to mm-hmm. jail and I ain't gonna have nothing to do with it. That's gonna be God. 
Yeah, I just say take your time. That that's the main thing. Take your time to get to know them and just make sure they got their own money, their own career, and they and they ain't trying to latch on to everything that's happening to you and for you that you've right. earned. Right. Okay, good. Because I've been I did a credit check and all that. Yeah. Right. All of it. Do yeah, background, background check, check, Google they ass. Look up old chicks that they used to fuck with. All of that. Yeah, yeah. And I be talking to them too. Like, girl, what did, why didn't it work out for mm-hmm. you? What happened? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, he, yeah. Okay, yes. good. Ain't nothing right. wrong with doing no background search. Because see, people, they show up as their agent the first three months. And then the real them show up. And you be like, who the hell? When did you, when did you show up? So, you know, just take your time. Because they, like I said, baby, you hot on the block right now. So everybody's like, you know, they trying to be all good. And the next thing you know, you, you know, taking care of them and it just happens. I don't know how it happens, but it's some kind of way does. That's why I always tell women, pump your brakes, take your time. Don't be in such a rush to jump into the shallow end of the pool head first. Yeah. My whole thing now is like, I don't ever spend more than $20 on no man. I know that's right. Like, and I tell them that too. Don't be expecting no expensive gifts or trips or nothing like that. I don't spend more than $20. So if the plane ticket is 10, I got you, bruh. But (laughs) Like, if it's more than $20, I can't do it. I'm going to tell you that right now. I can't do it. Anything else you want to ask your girl, Viv? Yes. I want to know how how do you keep your skin up so good? I've been working <laughs> on mine. I've been putting coconut oil on it and drinking lots of water, but I feel like it's not really working that great. Okay. Well, I believe in microdermabrasion oxygen facials. I do. I get them all the time. It scrubs your skin really good. Uh, and the oxygen keeps your skin real moist. Um, I'm a spa junkie. I drink a ton mm-hmm. of water. Text me because you know you got my number and I can give mm-hmm. you the name of my facialist and she'll hook you up with that microdermabrasion oxygen facial. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I seen that. This is my last thing. Okay. I seen you in a movie. And I know when you did that movie, you was well into your 30s, maybe even your early 40s. And you had walked past camera, you had on shorts, and you didn't have no cellulite on your legs. And I was like, how does how does she defeat the cellulite? Because I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I what? I've been doing massaging them, scrubbing them while they dry. I don't know how to get rid of them. How you do it? Okay. So I do a lot of water aerobics, uh, no cheese, no bread, a whole bunch of sugar, all of that stuff. If you do have it once a week only, okay. because I'm telling you, when you get older, all of a sudden the cheese, the bread, and all the sugar go right to the cellulite. Somebody yeah, called me that. And I'm mo- like, what the fuck See? is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And then also I got another number I'm going to give you. My girl, it's an endomology treatment where they go in there and they massage all of that and break it down. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Please. Okay. So text me after yeah, this I need girl. That, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you both of them numbers, okay? Please, because it looks like I'm smuggling cottage cheese in the back of my legs. I'm like, it ain't on my ass, but in the back of my legs, I'm smuggling cottage cheese and on my ass. It's, I'm smuggling cheese on my ass. That's when it starts to show up. You turn to look, you be like, oh, where the hell that come from? Yeah, right? Why is it so ripply? Yeah, why is it so ripply? I don't understand. What's well, girl, going I'm, on? I'm gonna help you fight the cellulite, okay? <laughs> okay, yes, let's fight. Hey, wait, now, now, how is quarantine affecting your dating life? That's the last question. Okay, so um, it might have enhanced my dating life. Let's Ooh. just be honest. Because I've been on the Bumble. I was on the Bumble app, like, heavy, right? Uh-huh. And then I had talked some of my friends into getting on Bumble. And then, you know, then I got to talking to them on the Bumble. Then I was like, well, maybe I can get paid off this. <laughs> then he's trying Get me come over for dinner and stuff. And I was like, well, you got to get tested. You get all the way tested. I get tested. And I'm not talking about just the COVID test. I'm talking about all the tests. Oh, you know, I need to make sure you you healthy. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's enhanced my dating life. You've been doing OK through Corona Corona. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a few orgasms. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you so much. Tiffany Haddish for being a guest on Hustling with Vivica A. Fox, girl. I mean, when they told me that Tiffany was going to be on the show, I literally, it just warmed my whole day. Because last time I saw you was at the premiere of uh, Bad Boys. Bad Boys. Yeah, yeah, girl. I posted our pictures. People was like, look at y'all. Y'all look like y'all had a good time that night. Yeah, we did have a good time. You know, uh, Will Smith cousin, he be bringing it up, talking about, you know, Vivica and uh, Lisa Ray trying to kick me out of the little section. I was like, yeah, nigga, you didn't fit in, but I got you back in. Didn't I? Didn't I? You didn't fit in. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to see yeah, you. Though. I love you, Tuz. I love you. Well, let me tell y'all. That leads us to today's hustle hack. Hashtag 
fight for what's right. No matter what role you play in life, use your voice to make a difference in our world. Overall, y'all know life is tough, but in the end, you got to fight for what's right. I have a saying, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Tiffany Haddish, tell us, girlfriend, where can we find you on social media? Oh, just Tiffany Haddish at Instagram, Tiffany Haddish on Twitter, Tiffany Haddish. Whatever social media thing is out there, it's all Tiffany Haddish. That's I it. love it. And you verified too, right? Yeah, verified. Got the blue check mark. If it oh, ain't the I- blue check mark, it ain't me. And, and check for if there's extra D's in it. There's only two D's in my name. Some people oh. like to throw extra D's. That's not me. Mm. Okay, get that. So it's H-A-D-D-I-S-H, right? That's correct. That's, That's correct. Tiffany Haddish with her blue official check verified, y'all. Okay? Yeah. And y'all know y'all can find your girl Vivica Fox on Twitter at Miss Vivica Fox, on Instagram at Miss V Fox, and our handle for Hustling with Vivica A. Fox podcast is at Vivica Hustler. Okay, that's it. Anyway, subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Your Girl, Vivica A. Fox. Until next time, darlings. Bye for now. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs>